0: We've got
1: your long-awaited mailbag questions answered today 100% correctly. We'll get to those in just a minute. The Buccaneers, on Monday, signed Andrew Adams, their safety that they promoted from the practice squad. He's now on the 53-man roster. Adams, you might recall, played here a couple seasons and then went to Philadelphia as a free agent. He was cut by the Eagles. He came back uh, to this team on the practice squad, was here about a week, and then activated for the game last Thursday night and played a very valuable role of course with the injuries they had to the secondary they were sort of short-handed um I think at one point Mike Edwards might have gotten out of the game for a few few plays and Adams came in and I think he had three or four tackles but the biggest one was a stop that he had on Ezekiel Elliott near the goal line a one-on-one tackle where he defeated the tight end made that stop so with their secondary situation still in flux Sean Murphy Bunting had his MRI he's still awaiting the results of that Um, sometimes when you do those things, there's still a little too much trauma or swelling to really know what you're dealing with, but it is, it was a, uh, you know, dislocated elbow. Uh, They're hopeful that maybe he'll only miss a month or so, but we'll have to see as, as the week goes forward, the bucks return to practice today after four days off, they've, uh, they just had this series of, of days off the biggest concern, you know, being COVID um, these guys hopefully uh, took care of themselves and their families and will come back healthy, but uh, they are back at work after another long weekend because of the Thursday night game. And they return to find themselves uh, tied atop the NFC South with the New Orleans Saints and with the Carolina Panthers. Of course, the Atlanta Falcons come to town on Sunday. Uh, they are coming off a, a pretty bad loss at home to the Eagles, which was surprising. Their offense uh, looked okay in the beginning. They didn't finish drives, and then, and then it fell apart. So we'll see what Atlanta has to offer uh, this weekend. So Without further ado, we got lots of questions. Some on the Bucks, some on the Rays. So let's get started.
0: All right, we'll start with Ellis, who asked. This is an easy. We'll start with an easy one. True or false? The 2019 Bucks and possibly the early 2020 Bucks teams would have lost that Thursday night game against the Cowboys.
1: Well, I think that's true. Um, statistically, you rarely win when you're a minus three in the turnover situation. Let's just start there. I mean that. That is a hard thing to overcome in any football game. I think your chances are probably less than 10%, if I had to guess, when you're a minus three in any game in the turnover-giveaway-takeaway uh, ratio. And then you add to that um, 10 penalties or 11 penalties for 110 yards. Uh, that was that was calamitous. I mean, th- those are recipes for defeat. You just don't get those back. Now, you know, I, I think that the Bucks did play some good situational uh, defense in that – you know, when Dallas got down in that red zone area, they made plays and forced field goals, and they were fortunate, you know, that Greg Zerline had a bad day. He missed an extra point. Uh, he missed a field goal. In a game that you win by two points, that's the difference. But, you know, they—they they, I would say that they came away from that game understanding they didn't play well in, in many areas. Uh, you credit Dallas, you credit Dak Prescott. Uh, no one knew quite what to expect. Those three receivers are a handful. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott did a tremendous job protecting Dak as a guy that was picking up a lot of blitzes. He was he was phenomenal in that area, uh, and I think that the Cowboys had a good game plan. But, yeah, those other teams that you spoke about, you know, too often we saw those games where they were behind uh, in the giveaway takeaway or the turnover area, and particularly with penalties. They, they usually weren't equipped to overcome that, and very few quarterbacks. I mean, look, Tom Brady's had... I think it was the 40th time that he's brought a team back into fourth quarter or overtime um, in that game, and, and that was the difference, right? Tom Brady is the best in that situation. He has a way to sort of calm the forces and execute plays and move the chains and navigate you know, the clock and all that, that you have to do in a two-minute situation. He does it better than anybody in the game. So, yes, I, I don't think they had that quarterback. Uh, I don't think they had sort of that poise under pressure in those seasons that you speak of. So I'm not sure that they come back in that game. And statistically, it rarely happens.
0: All right, Brian asks, he's got two questions here. Are the Bucks secondary and running back groups 1A and 1B for areas of concern after week one? And secondly, is it possible that the Bucks secondary had a bad night against what is argu- arguably one of the best wide receiver groups in the NFL, whereas the running backs caused two takeaways to it at best, a pedestrian defense in the Cowboys?
1: Well, that's a lot to unpack there. I'll try to take them a little bit uh, uh, separately, I suppose. Uh, as far as the running back play goes, I, I think that when you start one guy, you plan on playing them both. Sometimes neither one of them get going all that well. Obviously, both players made mistakes, okay? Leonard Pernett absolutely dropped a pass that was then batted in the air and intercepted. Not a good receiver. He had seven balls he dropped last year. So did Ronald Jones. It wasn't on third down, so Gio Bernard wasn't in the game. So you can't blame that on personnel. They just simply made bad plays. And then Ronald Jones, we know, fumbled in the game. And according to Bruce Arians, he didn't come back from that very well mentally. Now, I don't know how you're supposed to come back if they don't put you back in the game. Maybe Bruce is reading body language. Maybe he's reading what he had to say about the fumble or after the fumble. I'm not sure what led him to that conclusion. We've heard him say that before. It happened again last year, and then at one point he fumbled again in Carolina in a game, but said he mentally handled it better, and and that was the game that Ronald Jones ran for 200 yards. I think he had 98 yards on on one carry. So I'm not sure that there's, you know, anything you can glean from does that mean that Leonard Fournette is RB1 and Jones is RB2 now or they've lost confidence in those guys. I think they're both going to play. I think they'll go with a hot hand. I think they'll go right back to Jones again and see if they can get him going. He's the only running back under contract. So there's a lot of reasons that I wouldn't judge too much from the first game to the second. As far as the secondary goes, I don't think they had a good night. In fact, I'm sure they didn't. And, you know, most of it wasn't so much in defense of the pass because there were times when the rush absolutely affected Dak and he had to get rid of the football and he threw inaccurately Uh, on their last drive, in fact. You know, they had a holding penalty that Vita Vea caused. The next play there was pressure, and so you had to check it down, and they were forced to take a field goal rather than try to take, you know, a a lead with a touchdown. So I think, you know, you always are looking for that combination of rush and coverage, but the one thing they didn't do is tackle. They didn't tackle very well at all. And when you lost Sean Murphy Bunting, um, who got sucked up in a – a fake quick screen, which they were killing them with. And then the guy ran by him. Sean Murphy Bunting dislocates his elbow. That caused all kinds of personnel issues because now you're moving guys around. You know, he plays the slot. You bring in Ross Cockrell. He's a safety. Then Mike Edwards goes out. Now you bring in Andrew Adams. So they were thin. And then Jamal Dean did not play well. I mean, Jamel Dean, I would say, had a bad night. They went after him as soon as he got in the game. He gave up some plays. I think he had a penalty, actually two penalties on one play. And so it was a bad night for him. So nobody played particularly well. They can play. They can all play better. So I, I can't just chalk it up to a bad night because it's possible they have a few more. They're not deep in the secondary. You know, if you were just going to say, what is the weakness of this defense? Well, if the strength is the front seven, that means the secondary is a weakness. It doesn't mean they're bad. And I thought they improved and played better certainly down the stretch last year and in the playoffs in the Super Bowl. But it does mean that that's a young group that isn't very deep. And so injuries, uh, lack of confidence, those things can, can pop up in young players. And I think that's what we saw when they played Thursday night against Dallas. So I think they'll bounce back. It's a big week for Jamel Dean. Jamel Dean, ha- I think, has talent. I, I think he has... Uh, shown against Green Bay last year with the pick six, you know that he's able to adjust. Green Bay was up ten to nothing in that game. They went after him a few times, and then he absolutely jumped a route from Aaron Rodgers and took it to the house, and that turned the whole game around. So he's capable. Getting the reps in practice will help him this week. He'll be he'll know you know he's he's not a rookie anymore. He's not a second year player. He's a third year guy. He needs to step up and give them, you know. Uh, somebody that can uh, play as well as Sean Murphy Bunting, um, who won't be in the slot. They'll have to find somebody else to do that, whether that's another safety if Jordan Whitehead's back, maybe Antoine Winfield plays down there, maybe Mike Edwards, maybe Ross Cockrell. But all those guys are going to have to play better, and I think they will. But it was not a good night for the secondary. It was a good game plan. And as Bruce Arian said, we're going to keep seeing those quick screens and seeing teams try to go after our perimeter because they're trying to stay away from the middle of the defense, which is the strength and make those corners come up and tackle. And I think that's going to be a game plan that will be copied, but not everybody has the Dallas Cowboys receivers. I think that's some a good point by the questioner is that you're not going to find a better trio of receivers that don't already play in Tampa Bay. I mean, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown, you know, probably the other group is, is Michael Gallup, you know, uh, with Dallas and uh, – Ceedee Lamb and and Amari Cooper. I mean, those are the other three that I would point out in the league that are on par with them. And you don't have that with every team. I think the Rams do. The Rams have you know really good receivers. I think they can put some out there, including Deshaun Jackson, who would be their number three in L.A. So you're just not going to see every week. And Atlanta has good players, Calvin Ridley and others. They're going to attack the perimeter as well. They're just going to have to find a way to get it stopped and I think that they'll have a much better effort in game two. All
0: right, Joe emailed us and said, what's the story behind O.J. Howard not being on the field at all in the second half? He was in for several plays during the first half but never targeted. I've always thought of O.J. as a waste of a draft pick who hasn't shown the potential everyone talks about, but I'm wondering if he got in the doghouse during the first half and was intentionally benched for the second.
1: No. um, This is going to be an interesting litmus test for O.J. Howard. I think people – just expected because he's come off that Achilles injury. They picked up his fifth-year option. He makes $6 million that we would see O.J. running down the field catching passes week one, okay? The Bucks have made a conscious decision this year. Uh, if you recall, Antonio Brown was not part of this football team a year ago until after the first half of the season. And then when he got here, he was – you know, not in football shape, had to learn the offense. They worked him in sort of slowly. Well, that's not been the case this year. Okay, this year he came to training camp. He had the knee surgery in the off season. He was a live wire. He was, you know, energy, uh, tremendous performances in training camp. Preseason games looked good. So you go from having two main receivers and Chris Godwin, obviously, and Mike Evans, and they're your two main guys. And then last year, the plan was to go what is like 12 personnel where you have, you know, two tight ends, one running back, and two wide receivers. And so OJ and Gronk played a lot at the beginning of last season until OJ got hurt against the Chargers, okay? And then Cam Brait stepped in, all right? So this year, they've pretty much told you, look, we're – we're going to force the ball to our, our, our receivers. We think, we think our best weapons catching the football and our best matchups are Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and Antonio Brown. Rob Gronkowski is the tight end. He's the starting tight end. And two touchdowns in the Super Bowl, two touchdowns in Week 1. Incredibly smart player. Looks to be in better shape. All right? So, Gronkowski played the majority of the snaps. When he comes out... If it's if it's early in a game, or you're in a running situation, then you are going to bring in OJ Howard because Cambray. If you see him in the game, it means it's a passing situation, or they want the team to think that they're going to throw the ball because Cambray, he's not a blocker. You know they might use him on occasion as a third tight end, but primarily he's he's a pass catching tight end. All right, so OJ only came in to spell Gronk a few times. Right, as the inline tight end in the blocking situations. And when they wanted to throw the ball, they were gonna keep three wides and Gronk in the game. So Gronk was a primary tight end throughout the entire game, and then when they were throwing it, break came in. I just think that it's a function of, you know, what they're telling you about their offense. Their offense is gonna the passing game is gonna run through those three receivers and Gronk. And everybody else is gonna have to sort of find their way through that. You know, doesn't mean that Gronk in a 17-week season is going to play every snap. They would be wise to spell him more than they did maybe in the week one. But this was a huge game. In a way, it was a statement game. Um, I think the Saints had that against the Green Bay Packers. I think there are some openers. You're defending champions. You have an upstart Dallas team coming with the return of their quarterback Dak Prescott. The the nation is watching. Uh, you know, you want to make a statement. You want to go out there and play your best football. And they felt like, you know, those three veteran receivers and Gronk was the way to go, and they all produced, and and they won the football game. You'll see more of O.J. Howard. He's not a bust, believe me. He's a talented, talented guy who, you know, had some injuries early in his career that were no fault of his own. You know, no player goes out in the NFL and says, hey, I'm injury-prone. You know, just hit me. Watch. I'll be out. It doesn't work that way. He had never been hurt in his life. The guy played, you know, what, three, four years at Alabama? That's a pretty high level of football in the SEC. There's a lot of contact that goes on in the SEC. Guy had never been hurt. Comes to the NFL, had a few guys fall over the back of his feet, uh, tear up his ankles. He did have a hamstring injury one time. But by and large, you know, nothing he could avoid. And then. That, you know, the Achilles, I mean, nothing he did wrong. He tore, he ruptured his Achilles running a route. It happens. So he's come back from that. He's working his way back into shape. We know he's a matchup nightmare. We know that, you know, he can catch the ball. He struggled a little bit in one preseason game, but it is literally his first game back. So I think if he, in time, he'll work himself, you know, in, into a role But it's a long season. I mean, we saw a year ago, O.J. goes down. Cam Brait was playing six snaps a game. O.J. goes down. All of a sudden, Cam Brait ends up being a pretty good player for them the rest of the season. Caught a ball for a touchdown in the championship game. So you need the entire roster. It's a long season. You know, Gronkowski is not young. He's, you know, like 33 years old, so... You know those guys are going to need some 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 plays off, and that's why you want as deep a football team as you have. I hate it when people just decide. Oh, I always thought this guy was a bust. Well, based on what? You know, if if he's on another team and they featured him, maybe he's in the Pro Bowl. You know, you have to look at the personnel that he and the team that he's on, which is a Super Bowl team, and the fact that he's been hurt. And you know, we're we're through week one. We played exactly one game in a seventeen game regular season i would just say pump the brakes before you judge oj howard
0: all right narendra tweeted us who are the bucks likely to sign next year leonard fournette or ronald jones and is rojo not a fit for the system due to his catching issues
1: well i don't think either one of them are great receivers so if we're we're just going to judge it on that clearly fournette has caught more balls in his career but you know that doesn't make him a good receiver jones will be a free agent so you know i think it's it's in Imperative that he go out and have a great year. He was going to be a 1,000-yard rusher a year ago. Got sick with COVID, missed out on that. Off to a bad start so far this year. Only running back under contract is Keyshawn Vaughn, who can't get on the field. He was inactive in the first game. You know, has to play special teams and do some stuff like that. So, I mean, we've seen them re-sign Fournette already. You know, they signed him twice. They obviously got him last year and signed him to a contract when he was released by Jacksonville, and then they re-signed him this year. He didn't make a ton of money. There doesn't seem to be a huge market out there for him a year ago. Maybe there will be a year from now, depending on how poorly plays. If I had to guess, I mean, you'd lean towards a younger player, except that we saw in week one that Fournette sort of started the game and and also, you know, after the fumble, finished the game. I'd lean towards Fournette. I, I just think it's a, it's a team that's a veteran team. If Brady is around, it's guys that Brady can trust. It seems like he trusts playoff Lenny Lombardi, Lenny, whatever you want to call him. And for better or worse, if it was an either or, I would probably lean towards you know the player that uh, that has been the most productive in big games. You know, even though even though Jones outrushed him by a ton a year ago, and there was the attitude issue with Fournette and all of that. But um, you know, judging it after just one game, again, I would caution you that. We got sixteen to go with the equivalent of, of a what's usually a regular whole full regular season schedule ahead of us. So it's a little early to tell. But I would lean towards Fournette simply because they brought him back, which, you know, if they were all in on Ronald Jones, he wouldn't be
0: here. All right, Brian asked, Is it possible that Jameis Winston had a terrific game one and that he will he will regress closer to what he was in Tampa? Or do you believe with the new environment, in his words, quote better coaching An eyesight repair, he will have an MVP-like season, as his talent has always shown he's capable of.
1: Well, let's go back to the one-game example I gave you. Listen, Sean Payton, we know this about him. He's now 9-1 with quarterbacks not named Drew Brees in the last two years in one game, 9-1. If that tells you anything, it should say he's a hell of a play caller. He understands his team. He's not going to put his quarterback in bad positions. And that's particularly true about Jameis. I think Jameis did the right thing. He took a step back. Uh, he he was a th- he humbled himself. He was the third quarterback in New Orleans. He observed Drew Brees, who told him, you know, decision making is what that position is all about. And even though the decisions you make may not turn out, you know, they may not be, you know, ultimately they 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 may not be the productive ones. You might decide, hey. I got to throw the ball away here and you don't get any yards for that. Or maybe you have to punt. If it's the right decision, you, you make the right decision and you move on. Uh, and I think Jameis did that in the first game. I think that Sean Payton played around his quarterback. I mean, there was at one point, even though Jameis, you know, his first touchdown pass was like a pop pass to Alvin Kamara, a glorified handoff. Um, he had another one that was a short pass to the tight end. Again, they all count, right? But, until I think he entered the fourth quarter. He had thrown for about 94 yards, um, and then he had the big, you know, the big shot. As it was, he threw for about 150 or so, but he had the five touchdowns. Well, that's phenomenal, right? That tied his career high. So J- Jameis is going to be fine. That football team is really good. I mean really good. You know, They have one of the best offensive lines. They have a, a outstanding defense. You just took the Green Bay Packers and held them to a field goal on a neutral site. I didn't see the Bucks do that in, in the NFC Championship game. Granted, it was in Green Bay. I didn't see them do it, and they played really, really well. So, you know, again, I've been saying this, that the Saints have won the NFC South four years in a row. It's not because they're lucky, okay? It's because they're the best team in the NFC South. They may still be the best team in the NFC South. You know, in fact, in some ways, they may be better because now they can open up the entire field. You know, no matter what plays that – Sean Payton dials up, he has the threat of a vertical passing game with Jameis Winston. And that that in and of itself affects your defense and your game planning. So I think the Saints are going to be great. MVP season, if you're the quarterback of a team, uh particularly if you, you know, throw five touchdowns a game, you're going to be the MVP. But if you're a quarterback of a team that wins its division and goes deep in the playoffs, you're by definition a candidate. So yes, if Jameis Winston continues anywhere close to the path that he started with the Saints and takes care of the football he's going to get a lot of opportunities to throw touchdown passes he's off to a big jump there I I think he would be in that in that conversation but we're a long way like week one is a liar just remember that week one is a liar and I don't think you really figure out who's who until you get to around Thanksgiving most seasons but I know enough about the NFC and I know enough about the New Orleans Saints to tell you they're a really, really, really good team, and the Bucks will have a hell of an effort if they're going to beat them and win the division. It is not going to be handed to them. Uh, it's not going to be won because, you know, they, they get it by two or three games going away in December. I, I don't see it. I, I think, you know, those games are being really hotly contested if the Bucks are able to even split with them. I don't know. So, yeah, I would hold on to your seatbelts because – Jameis Winston is going to continue to be a big story, not just in the NFC, but in the NFC South right here and against Tampa Bay uh, to see who wins that, that title. And it's going to be fun to watch.
0: Well, as Jameis was talking to his trainer, and what does trainer say? Just be prepared? <laughs> be prepared. You
1: no, know, i just I just trying to be prepared. Now I was talking to my trainer, and he told me to What'd he say? be prepared. You know, that's one of those moments where I think he was going to go all Jameis. You know, not quite the eating the W's thing, but I think he was going to go, and it it just, like, it hit that speed bump, that Patriots or the Saints speed bump that he's been ingrained from Sean Payton. It said, yeah, I better not say that. It sounds stupid, you know, and he just stopped and said, well, he told me to be prepared. So you could just see him thinking there, like, yeah, I don't want to go there. I don't want to say what he told me.
0: All right, Les tweeted us and said, Rick, it's overreaction Monday. Which NFL team looks like they're in the most trouble after week one? So you can also throw in a college team as well, so he can get his money's worth.
1: Well, Florida State's in trouble. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Jacksonville State, folks, come on now. I mean, I don't know what way, what direction that team's headed. I really don't. Mike Norvell's got to figure it out. I mean, you, you know, you play a great game against Notre Dame, or seemingly a great game, at least a competitive one. Notre Dame looks to be a pretty good team certainly they've been one in the past
0: I don't know I mean that's Notre Dame's one you might have to question with yeah Florida State who loses to Jacksonville State
1: yeah
0: Toledo took him down to the wire
1: they did yeah they may not be as good as everyone thinks and this might be proof of it now
0: granted their quarterback dislocates his finger pops it back in goes out and throws a touchdown that's pretty impressive but
1: yeah Jack Cohen well Cohen you know he played at Wisconsin so now he's going to now that he's away from the horrible play caller that is Coach Chris. Um I, I, I would take Florida State. I'm going to go back. There was some. There were some tough losses. There were some bad losses. And and look, they play the Detroit Lions this week. I think. But did anybody? I mean, did it look any worse for any team than it looked for Green Bay? I mean, seriously, think about this. Aaron Rodgers spends the whole off season whining about. My life is a beautiful mystery. My career is a beautiful mystery. I want more say. I, You know, go get this player who, by the way, you know, they didn't play all the guys that they got. Um, You know, so much behind all of that. uh, You know, the drama and the daily taking of the temperature and will he go back there and, uh, you know, but he loves his teammates and, you know, the 35-minute, you know, analysis of a press conference and all of that. And then after all of that, Okay, you have a team that has been in the championship two years in a row. And after all of that, you are starting. I mean, you are starting the season at a neutral site. I mean, New Orleans has been slammed by a hurricane. Their team has been at AT AT&T Stadium uh, at one of the universities in Texas, you know, bouncing around, displaced their entire families, 250 people. You know, I don't know how many buses it was. It was like 20 buses and four airplanes worth of folks. And you go to Jacksonville where it's full of Packer fans, by the way. I mean, chalk full of Packer fans. That's all you could see. And you go out there and you lay that egg on opening day. Like, it's not like, well, we got caught between, you know, Tampa Bay and the Rams and we had kind of a off day where we just didn't, you know, short week after a Thursday night. No, this was the first game of the season. Okay, and their coach comes out and says, I didn't have our guys prepared to play. It looked like the other team had more intensity. What? It's week one. Week one. When are they going to be more intense? I mean, except for a playoff game. So I got my questions about Green Bay. They'll probably come out and pound and take it out on the Detroit Lions, but maybe they won't. Maybe they won't.
0: Right? Right. Well, I know the Detroit uh, media and fans are. There's a lot of moral victories coming out of that game against San Francisco. Yeah, they didn't start very well, but with a new coach, never gave the, up the way they finished and the way they came back and it ended up, you know, short. But uh, yeah, you know, there's there's some optimism around that Detroit team now.
1: Yeah, and they have a you know, I don't, I think that Jared Goff is a more capable quarterback than they've had in years. I mean, look, I think Matthew Stafford's a better player, but I think he needed a change. Uh, I think they got a young quarterback that's very capable. So I again, I I expect Green Bay to win handily. But what if they didn't, right? What if what if? Because listen, there's nothing about Aaron Rodgers that says to me he's like Tom Brady. Like Tom Brady wants to play on, until he absolutely you know they they peel his fingers off the football. I mean he he's not going to embarrass himself, but as long as he feels good. That's it. He loves, loves, loves the game. I think Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers found out he loves a lot of things. He loves his Hollywood actress. He loves Hawaii. He loves growing his hair into a man bun. Um, you know what I mean? Like seriously, like he, he's reading books on, you know, mental space, and and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, like, he has a lot of interest. Jeopardy. He wants to host Jeopardy. You'll never hear, you know, Tom Brady say, you know. Really would like to host a game show when I'm not playing. No, no, he's all football now. He does enough things off the field with his, you know, all his products that he endorses and all of that. But that's that's a lot of players do that at his level. I'm just saying, I don't know how important this season is, to Aaron Rodgers. I don't know how important football is, to Aaron Rodgers. And we're pretty sure that he doesn't care whether he stays in Green Bay or not. Hell, he's told them, I want out, that at best, this is my last year here. Let's have one more hurrah. Well, if that's the way you start the senior class, you know, skip day, uh, when you, all the guys are going to be together for one more season before they go to college, like, that's what you want to do? You want to go and mess it up and, and get beat 38-3? to three? I'd have real concerns about them. Believe me. I guarantee you they're having, they're having lots of talks up there, maybe not with Aaron, but lots of talks up there about what just happened. How did we not have this team even remotely ready to go against the New Orleans Saints? It's to me that's the biggest question in the NFL.
0: Well, speaking of another team, Michael asked, "Do you think Urban Meyer will be a successful NFL coach?"
1: If he can handle the first 2 years of losing, yes. Look, By the way, Johnson- did you see
0: the stat? Trevor Lawrence lost his first regular season game ever. ever.
1: Is that crazy? That's insane, right?
0: <laughs> That's like insane. Like he did. Like, how'd you? You didn't lose in
1: high school, man. You didn't lose a game at Clemson.
0: Not in the regular season.
1: Yeah, I mean, so that had to be like, what do I do? What do I do now? I don't like this feeling. This is weird. Um, listen, he's going to lose a bunch of them. Uh, probably about twelve to fourteen, if you had to ask me. I thought Houston was by far the worst team in the NFL. Clearly, they're not. Clearly they're not. They were many, many points better than the Jacksonville Jaguars, who they get to play again. So I think Trevor Lawrence is the real deal. I've watched enough football, and I like the way he handled, you know, first of all, don't make your rookie throw it 50 times, okay, Herb? Um, No matter what the score is, it's just, you know, you're going to get the guy hurt. So he's playing behind a bad offensive line. They don't have a, a ton of great weapons, but I think I saw the talent in the mentality of look I got to get better you know it wasn't about it wasn't about the team it wasn't about, it was about what he can do you know to to make his club better i i like that fight in him and like i said he's a special talent some of the throws he made were big big time throws like the arm strength unquestionable he's special i think he is generational quarterback i don't know is he elway mm, maybe not but you know, I still think he's special. So if Urban and him together can make it through these first, say two years, because they're gonna lose a ton of games, and they can get that team better around him, then I think he'll have a chance. I simply don't believe that Meyer will be able to withstand the scrutiny and the 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 you know the magnifying glass of what comes with losing in the NFL. You know, when you're on that side of the coin in this league, it is it is it is gut-wrenching. Like, you know, every single week somebody can beat you. Even the games. I mean, you're telling me, like, they went down and played the Texans, which most, team, most people said on film and otherwise, you know, look, Deshaun Watson is not playing. Uh, you know, they have a new head coach of their own in David Culley. Not a ton of players. New GM. This is a team we can beat. I mean, Jacksonville's thinking, we can go down, we can win this game. We could beat these guys. And they got they got bombed, right? They got They got beaten soundly. So that's a confidence problem. And, you know, if Urban suffers a lot of these defeats because it's going to get harder for them to win games, not easier, who can they beat? And we know that he's, you know, the, the stress, the health issues, the scrutiny that comes with the NFL. It's not Ohio State. You don't just have the best players. You know, the thing about college, you can just go out there and whip most teams because you're just better. Your players are just better. Heck, your second teamers are better than most of the teams you play during the season. That's not going to be the case in the NFL. You have to deal with everything, including COVID, injuries. You know, you can't, you don't have a hundred guys on your roster. It's hard. It's a different game. And college coaches, most of them, or a lot of them, struggle with the lack of control that they have, you know? And so it's not like recruiting. I can't go sign my favorite players. I have to draft them. And, I, you know, I may like a guy, you know, and somebody else picks them and, it's just different. So, I think if they can withstand the first two years and make their team better around Lawrence, assuming he doesn't suffer some major injury or setback, I think they'll. I think he'll be good. But I question whether or not he has the tolerance for it, for losing, and for the scrutiny that will come with it, and just sort of being, you know, what it is. It's being irrelevant. I mean, he's he's relevant right now because Trevor Lawrence is his quarterback because. He's new in Jacksonville because they had the first pick, right? How relevant is he going to be when they're 2-14, you know, or next year? So I think that lack of, I mean, this guy's coached at Florida, Ohio State, it's national titles, it's championship games. None of that's out there for him these first two years, I don't believe. So from that reason, I think he might just decide it's not worth it, but We'll see. Maybe he'll maybe he'll make a liar out of me.
0: All right, Les had tweeted, Rick, after early losses for Clemson and Ohio State, is there a chance neither one makes the college football playoff? I know you always say it's only four or five teams who have a chance, but maybe this year we see some new blood.
1: I think Ohio State can make it. I don't know what the path forward for Clemson is. I mean, the problem Clemson faces is there's nobody good in their entire conference, right? What's the next best team, Miami? I don't know if Miami's any good, and if we're going to rank teams, right? We're going to have these. This this committee that's going to determine who the top four are. Okay, let's say they win. They win out. I mean, I guess the record will be there. They'll they'll probably be ranked high. But you know, if your only loss, you allow, you know, 10 you, didn't, you didn't allow
0: a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, you did not. I mean, it was, it was a, a close game. A pick it six, was, I mean, to Georgia. Right. I mean, to a
1: very good team. But Georgia plays well, and they're your only loss. Some of that will be on Georgia, maybe. Clemson wins you know? out there
0: in because I think they're going to win handily and and all their games from here on out. And so the eye test will say they're great. Maybe yes, they lost to Georgia. Who's going to be right does there with Alabama on do, the do,
1: Does anyone care who they beat? Though I mean, there's literally what what win in the ACC is going to matter to anybody. Just the fact that they're ten well, and one,
0: but but Ohio State's already has a loss, right? Uh, you know the Pac-12. Maybe Oregon has a shot this year. Maybe UCLA. They haven't had a team in four years in the college football. If
1: life. Oregon wins out, they're in the they're in the top four. You know
0: Texas right. I mean, already. You know lost, right. in, in the Big Twelve. So you know I mean you've got Oklahoma there. Iowa State's lost to Iowa. Uh, you know, Iowa
1: Big Ten. I mean I, Ohio State probably beat whoever comes out of the Big Ten, I think.
0: I mean, just understand that at the end of the year, there's going to be one or two teams that are undefeated at most. As much as we think that everyone's going to go undefeated now, it's the way college football always is.
1: Right. By Alabama, the time you get to that third yeah. or
0: fourth pick in the college football playoff, it's like whose loss is better than this and whose wins are – I mean, you start comparing that. and yeah. then, you know. But I think Clemson's eye test will, will – Put them in, assuming that they they went out the rest. If they of the run, run the table,
1: yeah. If they run the table and go ten and one, and their only loss is, is you know didn't give up, but you know a touchdown to Georgia, then yeah, I would say they'd get in. I guess that's true. I just don't. I just the ACC. It's just it's so bad. It's such a bad conference. Clemson may be okay, I guess, but you better run up some scores. I think that would help them.
0: Well, I think they will. I mean, you know, yeah. If they yeah. start if they start beating every team by you know seven to ten points no but don't I think, lose another one well no no if you're in the ACC you can't lose that second game absolutely right not. right and Ohio, Ohio State I mean I think you know they're fine they're still Ohio the favorites win the Big Ten they're fine their secondary is very young mm-hmm. and if you've got a good enough passing game you can expose that which Oregon you know Oregon's quarterback was good enough to do that yeah, um, they're extremely young in the back. I think Ohio State is just—I think they've lost so many players the last few years. They're just a really young team that next year is going to be dominant.
1: And it's in their defense. I think is where they lack. They've got great receivers. Their quarterback's going to be fine. He threw for almost 500 yards. It's just their defense is young and they got to yeah. grow up fast. Well, That's what it. was
0: surprising in that game was their offensive line wasn't as dominant as you'd like to think. And Oregon was without their the start the maybe the number one pick in the draft pick Thibodeau and right. they're a star linebacker as well, and Oregon was getting pressure, and Ohio State's offensive line is essentially four offensive tackles. I mean, that's the right. type of talent they have up front. I mean, they didn't do poor, but they didn't protect as well as you'd hoped.
1: Yeah, I thought I thought Oregon um, dominated the line of scrimmage. I really did. I, I They weren't able to run the ball as well as they normally do. Um, Stroud didn't have a ton of time to throw, you know. I thought they won. I thought they won the game on their defensive line. Mm-hmm. Oregon did, and they ran the ball a little bit too. So really, both lines of scrimmage. But I know enough about Ohio State. They have so many great athletes, and, and the Big Ten. Tell me, you know, you watch Michigan. Are you a big fan? You think you think they've got it going up there this year?
0: I think they're better than they've been for the last couple of years, but I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State. No.
1: No Iowa. So then you'd say, okay, what's the next best team in the big in the Big Ten? Iowa.
0: I, I mean, you're looking at Penn State or Iowa or. And we'll find out about Penn State this week with Auburn. They play Auburn this
1: true. week. True, that's true.
0: You know, Iowa's look good. They they crushed Indiana, although Indiana may be a little overrated. We'll see.
1: Crushed um, Iowa State.
0: Uh, they beat Iowa State um, in Ames with game day there. Yeah. So I mean, Iowa Iowa looks maybe to be the next best team in the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, that's what I think.
0: But you know, does does is is Iowa going to beat Ohio State on most days? No, nope. I mean, you know, Ohio State, just like Clemson, is so far ahead of talent-wise of everybody else in their conference.
1: Right. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
0: All right, Brian, E tweeted us. He says, do you have any concerns that the Rays pitching will hit a wall and or the pitching staff will hit a wall come October?
1: Well... I I think we talked about this a little bit on the podcast and you you brought it up because you discussed it with Neil Solons is that, you know, I think they were treading water a little bit on some of these series like against Detroit and some of the others because they know more important games are in front of them uh, or series like the one they're playing in Toronto. Um, They'll play the Yankees again. They play Houston. So by that time, maybe they have it wrapped up. I think they're trying to manage some innings so that doesn't happen. I think they're trying to keep some guys fresh. It's undeniable their bullpen's going to carry them through the playoffs. They've really only got two, maybe three guys that can start and go five innings um, that you'd be confident with. One of them, McClanahan, is, you know, on the IL, and Patino seems to be a little up and down of late. Um, You know, I I think it's going to be a a bullpen-centric series, whoever they play, and I think it takes just one guy to be off his game to get you beat. So... You know they're going to have to lock in, join forces. You mentioned it. They they need some left-handed relief out of that bullpen that they don't have currently, or or that's going to get them beat because then the matchups won't favor them in the late innings or whenever you face a a, a heavy left-handed lineup. So I'm you know it's a shame because this is clearly the best offense I think they've ever had. They absolutely got to get Wander Franco back, but assuming he comes back. They can score runs, but we know that the postseason there aren't a lot of runs normally scored, right? It's always, you know, pitching and defense sort of rules those things. But I feel more confident about their bats than I did a year ago. I think they can, you know, they're not going to be as limited as they were a year ago. Their lineup's much stronger. But man, uh you talk about pressure on the bullpen every night, you know. Then having said that, those guys are pretty good down there. So if you can get if you can get to the sixth inning you know and you've got your A guys lined up right then i feel good about their chances and the rays also having great tacking on runs they've scored more runs after the 7th inning than any team in baseball so you know if that all were the same cuz they beat up other people's bullpens pretty good but it's just that the further you go in the playoffs and certainly the world series you know no, at no one's there are no weak links down there you know and they're rested too and they get days off too and so you're going to have to beat the best. It's going to be a different deal. And I don't know if burnout is the right word. I think they've tried to manage their innings. But I, I just think they're asking a lot of those guys who have carried them and will carry them to almost 100 damn wins, which is remarkable. But at some point, does your luck run out? You know, um, it's a good question. It's a fair question. But I think, Steve, don't you think they've managed guys' innings to try to keep them as fresh as they can for October?
0: I think that's what they're trying to do. I, I think, you know, you didn't see Colin McHugh pitch for six days. and he's, Right. He, we're taping this before Monday night's game, so he's going to sure. pitch tonight. Right. Uh, Pete Fairbanks, they didn't use during the series in, uh, in Detroit. Detroit. Probably saving them for Toronto. Right. Um, you know, I, I think they are trying to, to find guys' rest in this. Now, their starters have not been helping them of late when. Right. Patino's not going very deep, and McClanahan's not going, and now he's hurt. But when, when your guys that you expect to go, Ryan Yarbrough a couple days ago, you wanted him to go deeper than he did.
1: Archer um, went four and got yeah, hurt. Archer, yeah, Archer.
0: You know, I mean, when those guys aren't going as deep as you would like, it's making it harder to, to keep some of those guys rested. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Neil Solans was asked the other day on the postgame show. You know, who would you rather face in the first round of the playoffs? And he said Boston, New York, Toronto, then Oakland, Seattle. Mm. And he said, one, they're heavy right-handed lineups, which helps us yeah. pitching stuff. Two, the Rays, when they get familiar with, with teams like the AL East, and you see how they've dominated the AL East, they, they find ways to get guys out Yeah, when they have a familiarity with, with those teams. Right. Um, you know, Seattle this year went what six and one against the the Rays this year. Mm. Um, they tend to struggle with Oakland at times. Um, Houston, mm-hmm. of course, is loaded, and they have probably the most left-handed hitters too. So I wouldn't want to face them. Uh, mm. Although odds are you're not going to face them in the first round. So, you know, but I, I yeah, I do think they're trying to protect guys and 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 watch some innings on guys too. Um, you know, I think part of you know. Like the other night, Patino yesterday was Sunday. wasn't pitching great. He was only down two to one, but they took him out early. Part of it was to save some innings, save his arm too. I mean, yeah. you know, not only the bullpen, but you know what? He's not pitching great. It's still it's only, we're only down two to one. Let's take him out and try to win this game using the relievers we want to use and save his arm too for the postseason. That's part of it yeah. too. Yeah. Um, you know, you forget that last year these guys went sixty games. This year, they're going 162. And it's true for every team, not just the Rays. And so how you've used arms all year, you know, teams have had strategies of how they're trying to, you know, save innings but build people up too. That, you know, to just go from starting, you know, 12, 13 games last regular season to now 30-something, that's, that's not what your arms are designed to do. I mean, you know, generally when you build up arms, it's you add a 20 to 30 innings a year, not – you know, triple the amount of starts. So, you know, the Rays have been doing, and every other team has. I mean, it's it, everybody's got the same scenario. Of last year, we played sixty. This year, we play one hundred sixty-two. So, how you compensate that? Every team's doing different. But the yeah, you know, the Rays, no question, they're trying to do that. And with a nine-game lead in the division, it makes it easier to not use Pete Fairbanks all weekend, or to sit Colin McHugh for six games. You know, you can get guys some extra rest in there because if you lose a game, it, it's it's not hurting your playoff chances at this point.
1: Who knows? Maybe when they get to the postseason, they'll let their starters go a little deeper as well, knowing that they're, you know, they're reaching the end of the season. And if a guy's pitching well, well not we know Kashi if there's a style, perfect game,
0: but... perfect game through six innings twice through the lineup, uh you're coming out. <laughs> no.
1: Well, there's
0: that. I but, think they've learned their lesson on that.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you know, it, it, there's nothing to save them for. I guess once you get to the postseason, you're trying to win every game, mm-hmm. so that changes that changes the starters mentality as well.
0: And you've got the days off of rest last postseason you didn't right. have. You know, That's days right. off during series. So it was five straight games in the division series and then it was you know, seven straight days for you know, the the championship series and the world series if you went to seven games. And so this year, you know, for the first round it's play 2, day off, play 2, day off, play 1. You know, so you're playing five games in 7 days instead of 5 and 5. And the next round you're going to have Was it three days off in there? So it's like 10 days to play the seven games. So, you know, you're going to have some of that that helps, you know, the pitching staffs as well. Right. All right. Carl asked, if USF plays Florida State, who wins? Who gets axed first, Norvell or, or Jeff Scott? I hate for anyone to get released, but hope they can both turn things around. FSU is still paying Willie Taggart. Is USF still paying Charlie Strong? The Levitt punch still impacts us today.
1: I don't know about the buyouts and who's paying who. I'll be honest with you. Um,
0: I believe Charlie was fully paid. I think he was owed three million when they, yeah, they let him go, and I think that's already been paid. So,
1: listen, I think if USF plays Florida State, Florida State wins. Just do. Um, don't have much to base that on, to be honest with you. I'll base it, it on the,
0: the Matt Baker plan. Who's got more dudes?
1: Yeah, they got. They seem to have more dudes. They seem to have more three and four star dudes. I mean. If you had your choice, in all sincerity, you're a football player, and you have your choice, unless you're from Tampa or you you have some relationship with Coach Scott, and I'm not trying to recruit for Florida State or recruit against USF, but I'm just saying one is a better brand, right? I mean, one mm-hmm. has national championships. You know, they're not that far removed from bowl games. They're not that far removed from, you know, beating, playing, you know, Florida and, and you know, some of the big games – of the year and going to bowl games and all of that. We still remember those days. Uh, We don't necessarily remember many of those days at USF anymore. And the brand is just better at Florida State right now. So if I'm a three- or four-star recruit, all things being equal, and I can play at Florida State or I can play, you know, at USF, I want to play and I want to have a chance to think that I can turn things around and get to a national title or, you know, play in big games, whether that's against Notre Dame or people like that. I know USF just played Florida. I get all that, um, but they're they they're in the American. They're not in the AC, ACC, which I still think is a better conference than the American. So, I'm um, you know, I, I think, I think it's Florida State. Now, having said that, and bec- maybe because of it, I think Mike Norvell needs to win fast, faster. Well, it's funny what
0: okay? one week can do.
1: Yeah, I mean, he went from hey. Almost took down Notre Dame. Good job. Just tough luck at the end. I think you're starting to make strides. You know what? This team, I could see this team going to a bowl game. I could see them winning seven games. Hell, maybe they win eight. To, oh, my God, you lost to Jacksonville State. You may get fired next week. And that's that's college football. That's how fast the picture can change. So, to me, you know, even even the game that, you know, Jeff Scott had against the University of Florida. It was lopsided. They were getting blown out. But you know what? The second half, they they did they did okay. They did a few things, and so you go. Okay, well, maybe you know they weren't going to beat Florida, but they they competed better. They looked like a, a college football team. I can do something with this when we get into the AAC. I don't. You can't. I mean, where you go after you lose to Jacksonville State? I don't care who you play. You know, I mean, it's it's such a low point of their program that. And he's not in a situation where he can afford those, those hits. So I think there's way more pressure because of the brand, because of who they just lost to, um, and the expectations they created with the Notre Dame game. I mean, I, I think there's a lot more riding on Norvell's shoulders than there are USF.
0: All right, we'll end on this. And Matt had asked, who's more likely to get a brand-new stadium first, the Rays or the USF Bulls football program?
1: Well, I would say the Bulls only because they can finance and build their own supposedly if they can raise the money um, through their boosters or however they plan on doing it, selling cookies, I don't know, door-to-door, you tell me. I I, I don't know what I'm guessing that whatever erector set football stadium they're going to build, albeit would still be in the hundreds of millions of dollars, would be a lot less than what they're going to propose to build the race. Um, we know the bounce house, you know, isn't exactly, you know, it's not AT and T Stadium. It's not Jerry World. Okay, so you can build stadiums on campuses. Probably a lot less than what the Rays would pay for one, because they have better, they have more needs. And so for that reason, I'm going to say probably USF. I haven't seen anybody come forward with a finance finance plan, or for that matter, a site, or anything, or a shovel in the ground. It looks like they're going to put a shovel in the ground one day. I know they have they done that for the indoor facility. Um, this was just you know Will Weatherford sort of pontificating out loud that he thinks they're going to have a uh, you know a stadium on campus. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, they have the land. I think they have the land to build one out there. That's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. We know it would be around the campus someplace. So I think they're in a much more beneficial position and they're probably not going to ask for tax dollars to do it. They can raise their own money, I suppose. So it's a it's sort of a different deal. Um, I would put more stock in, in USF getting one than I would the Rays. I, just not, I haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe the Rays are going to get a stadium.
0: I think the Rays will get it first, and it's most likely because by 2028 they need one. The question yeah. is, will it be in Tampa Bay? Yeah. It may be somewhere else. You hope not.
1: You hope not, but it's possible.
0: Although they're talking, the one stadium that wasn't included in this is: Will the Bucks get a new stadium first?
1: (laughs) Well, when will they ask for one? Um, Probably sooner than later. But they did put 160 million in that thing. I'll say this: that if it, you know, it doesn't look like it's falling down, and they have gone to great lengths and expense to Mm -hmm. upgrade all those suites and all those club areas, and they're beautiful. So I I think they might get more mileage out of that. I really do. But I also am not naive, you know, win a couple Super Bowls but or go to a couple
0: If you win if you win another Super Bowl, that's the perfect time to ask for the new stadium. Isn't it?
1: Isn't it? Yep. It sure is. It sure is. And there's land there's, you know, it's funny because where there's a parking lot now was where the old you know the old sombrero used to be Mm -hmm. right before that it was al lopez field and then they tore down the old sombrero and built the stadium and what was the parking lot so you could easily go back to (laughs) the old sombrero one build one right next door to where the old sombrero was that is now the parking lot there you go (laughs) so it's yeah it'd be the newer sombrero at the old sombrero site so there's land um and and listen Super Bowl or not, but I mean, just what an NFL franchise means versus baseball or any other sport. I just think the NFL is king, man. I, I just do, and and we live in a football area, football centric area in South, you know, in the South, and I I think there would be a much more of an appetite for whatever reason. Bucks have been here since seventy six. Rays have been here since ninety eight. Right. Uh, Lightning have been here since whatever, early 90s. 92. But, but 76 now. That That's a minute. And, you know, while they haven't always won, they got two trophies in the case and working on a third. Um, and Brady might be here for another year after that. So I just think the value of an NFL franchise, look at the franchise values. I mean, you, you, let's put it this way. You're not going to get one back, you know. Uh, it would be hard to move them out of here and get it back. I don't know that I'd plan on that. So... I'd be surprised what they would do for the Glazers. I really would. I'd be really surprised. Um, but I think that question's going to come one day. Maybe we'll go back to the soon.
0: dual-use stadiums for the Rays and the Bucks together.
1: Well, that's my solution. I don't think that the the Bucks would agree to that because they want their own yeah, their own wouldn't. ballpark. But let me ask you this though, in in all seriousness, okay? Let's say, all right. Let's say, well, this is where you run into problems because the problem with the dual stadium now is both teams want the revenue. <laughs> so that's the issue, right? But, like, for example, the Rays or the, the Bucks control Raymond James in, in as much as, well, the TSA controls it. The TSA can book concert, book book whatever. And that stadium sits empty most of the year. I mean, a lot, like all year, okay? An occasional conference, a, tra- a, con- a occasional concert, a tractor pull here and there. That's about it. The TSA is not looking to book acts or keep that stadium full every night. Now the Bucks would probably like that because they get revenue from it, you know, up to a certain amount. If you build a new stadium, okay, and you did what Atlanta did, which was say, "All right, Falcons, you're in charge of keeping this building occupied, and you get to keep the money from it if you have concerts, but you're booking them. We're out of the stadium business." It's your stadium, okay? Which essentially it is the Buck Stadium anyway. When you really think about it, um, they just let the TSA run it, or they have to work in conjunction with them, whatever. If you gave it to the Bucks and then said, "Hey, you want a tenant? How about the Rays? They'll pay you X, to, you know they'll split this revenue with you, or they'll could you come up with some sort of arrangement where the Bucks would profit from having a Major League Baseball team all those days that they're not playing football." You know, if you could make it financially worth their while, maybe they would go for it. I don't know. I don't know if right the Rays now, would,
0: I don't know if the Rays would go for that. The
1: Rays probably would. Because do you want to
0: give up a, a part of your revenue to probably pay, not to, to pay for that? I mean, you know, probably to, not for what the Bucks are going to now. Yeah. What could be? It's a major project, but look at what Atlanta did with their baseball stadium. They yeah. created the battery up there, which is beautiful. Yeah. And bars and restaurants and shops. You need a developer that will do that. But yes. so what if you built both stadiums together? And side by side? Well, you know, in that in the same area where you have a a whole nightlife shopping restaurant district around both stadiums. Assuming that, you know, the Bucks are asking for a new one. And this is just me spitballing off the top of my head, but yeah. to create a you know, an area where it's a destination right. that you know, not only every baseball game do you have shops and restaurants in this, people coming, which is you know eighty games a year. Well, and, and, and then you add those ten football games. Yeah, you had ten yeah. football games. You had concerts in the stadium. You had, right? You know, do the rowdies move into that stadium? Do, you know, all kinds of stuff. You could, you know, we're all of a sudden now it's a, it's a destination that's being you know, you're getting 120, 140 nights a year, you're getting stuff going on.
1: At, yeah, it Yeah, it has, area. it has to become a community. Yeah. It has to be an area that people will live, work, shop, walk, go to, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, that's, that's really what stadiums now have, have centered around, you know, that, um, and again, that goes back to who owns the land, who can develop it. Um, is somebody willing to give them the land for, because they own the land around it that will develop increase the tax rates and they'll get paid back that way. Um, you know, what, what can you do? You know, I I don't know the answers to that. I, there's, there's not a ton of land in, in Tampa. Um, there is quite a chunk of it though on Dale Mabry. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could fit another ballpark there. might create some parking issues, probably have to build some garages and whatnot, but, um, you could certainly do it. Uh, but is that, you know, what? What then? Be, I don't know. I, it, this is hot, this is way beyond my financial wherewithal. Yes. I'm just trying to pay my own bills. But <laughs> um, I, I do think that I I do think this. If you're if you were asking me which which major league sports team has a chance of building a new stadium, and I'm not going to leave the lightning out of this for now, I'm going to say it's the Bucks. I don't even think it's close. I think I think it's the Bucks. I don't think that that the community would would lose that franchise over a new stadium. Now, you know, world without end, cost without end. Can you build Jerry World? No, they're not going to pay. But you know what? Some of these things are going for a billion with a B these days to build them.
0: Well, the Rays proposed park in Ebor was nine hundred million.
1: Yeah. So I mean, you're talking you're talking about money that we can't even fathom. And but I would I would also think that the Glazers though would ante up for for a, a decent portion of it as well. Because I think they would recognize, you know, for the next twenty, thirty years, whatever, uh, what they could recoup in that, in those, in in that investment, you know, and the franchise value in Tampa versus franchise value somewhere else. If you got to build a stadium someplace, someplace else you're moving to, like it's there's a lot of moving parts to it. But do I do I think the Bucks will one day ask for it? I do, I do. I think, and the way they'll sell it is, hey, you know, this stadium is most stadiums are running their course after about 20 years. They built that one in nine. It opened in 98. We're at 2020, right? So we're already past the expiration date of some stadiums. And what do you want to do for the next 30 years? What do you want to do for the next 25 years? Oh, it's too hot. By the way, we need, you know, we we, got to look at a way to cool our fans and make it more, you know, you know, make it easier for them to sit in the sun and whether that's, you know, partial shade or a retractable roof. Um, oh, and guess what? You want Super Bowls? You want national championships? Well, they're not going to come back to Raymond James because it's inadequate. They're going to go to L.A. They're going to go to the new ballparks. They're going to go to Las Vegas. You got to compete now with those Atlanta, right? You, get, you you're never going to get a Super Bowl unless you build us a stadium. What is that work at, worth economically to the community? And that's what the NFL has done. They've dangled that carrot of Super Bowls to everybody that's built a new stadium. You know, Including Indianapolis and MetLife and even the northern cities. So the legal get involved. They're in the stadium game. They know how to get it done. I, I think I'd say within the next 10 years that's going to come up and it'll be a, a major, major story. All right. So those are some great mailbag questions we had today. And you don't have to wait for a mailbag. You can send us your questions anytime uh, to us on Twitter at SportsdayTV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampa bay.com. Rays continue their series in Toronto. Bucks are back at practice today to prepare for their Sunday game against the Atlanta Falcons. Check all of that out on tampa bay.com and the Tampa Bay Times. For Steve Burstnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.